It literally took us three rescheduled calls to make this happen, but we finally made it work. I'm very excited. I know that both of us have been running around. I know you've been traveling. I've been kind of, I guess not even the traveling part that's difficult. It's just like coordinating on time zones. Where were you, Sharice, exactly? I was in Sanya, China for five days as a camp counselor. How was that? Man. What's Sanya like for someone that's never been, including myself? So Sanya is very hot. It's, this is not the time of year to be going. I was, it's like you are pouring sweat when you're outside, but it's very beautiful, you know, sun, sea, sand. How does it, how does it differ from mainland China or how is it similar? Um, similarities, the hotel staff do not have the greatest grasp of English. So just keep that in mind and differ from mainland China is not as uptight because it is like a leisure island. You know, people go there to relax. So, um, yeah. things are more chill. You know what? Last time I was in China, though, I found that the English, the level of English was actually pretty good. Was, well, where, where were you, though? People. Where were you? I was in, I was in Shenzhen. Oh, that, was Shenzhen. that is impressive. Yeah. I mean, overall, I think that's like the one thing that they are definitely on the come up. I have yeah. to give it to the, the staff so that they try very hard. So they make every effort. It's just, you know, not, not there yet. If this is your first time tuning into Making It Up, we analyze and debate some recent topics in creative culture while trying to illustrate our thoughts along the way, usually with funny results. This week's episode will outline, can truth and criticism sustain itself as a business on the internet? And can celebrities ever be judged objectively for their art? Yeah, let's jump right into it. So the first one, can truth and criticism exist and sustain itself as a business on the internet? So this was inspired by two articles um, from the past few days, one by New York Mag um, and another one by Spin. So both of them, while different, kind of reached a similar point. In the case of Spin, they were discussing how MTV News was another failed editorial experiment. And it joins a long list of long-form editorial publications online that have had trouble sustaining themselves. So, you know, you have the likes of Grantland, you know, and now MTV News that have wanted to take a, a sort of a deeper form approach to writing stories. But at the end of the day, you know, it kind of didn't really work out on the basis of, in this specific context with MTV, having a critical point of view on artists and talent is something that MTV has proven in this case, they cannot do because when the talent gets upset and they start boycotting or they start, you know, saying they won't work with you. I think MTV started to get a bit scared um, in regards to what that meant for the long term. Um, and also, I think there's just always going to be difficulty with sustaining long form content because at the end of the day, it doesn't drive um, back into the business from a business model perspective. Mm. You know, and that kind of alludes to the New York Mag piece that was talking about how there's no money in internet culture. So you have these of internet culture, you have Reddit, you have Tumblr. Mm-hmm. Um, these are places where a lot of people go to create things, um, curate things, but both of them, I, I guess I could throw Twitter in there too. It's like, you know, millions and millions of people frequent these places, but they haven't been able to turn it around into a viable business. Mm-hmm. So that kind of leads us to this point. Um, 
You know, these places thrive creatively because they lack policing and rules, you know, for better or worse. Um, but since these aren't really safe places for advertisers and they're often scale driven, I mean, the, in, in regards to these sort of pillars of internet culture, like your Reddits, Tumblrs and, and Twitters, um, they've struggled to kind of turn that into a viable business. Yeah. You know, and the thing that I, I kind of come to terms with amongst all of this is that creating and being truthful and honest and having authenticity, these are all things that are, are kind of central focuses of the internet, or I think that's what the internet does well, but it kind of is incongruent with how the internet has funded itself, which is through advertising. Yes. Um, and that's kind of, um, an interesting topic, you know, what, what are your thoughts overall? Like when, when you kind of read these topics and you kind of assess based on what, you know, being both a creator and mm. someone that works in publishing, did you feel this was like, this is 100% truthful and I don't, and you know, what, what is the answer to that mm. going forward? It makes me, so the New York mag piece about Reddit and Tumblr and 4chan and Twitter, um, it gives me the feeling of being kind of sad that creativity and this freedom of expression isn't rewarded monetarily. Like it's just not a natural connection. I, I can understand why advertisers don't want to put their ads next to this content. I wish there was some way that they could monetize. I don't know. What, I don't know what the answer is. Like I don't know how you can use that audience to make money to be so profitable. Um, so that's kind of sad. And then the thing about MTV actually makes me think about, first of all, I wonder if the celebrities have too thin of skin. Like, is it such a big deal that MTV was writing some slightly negative pieces and then the artists were threatening to like never work with MTV again? So that seems like overkill to me. It also made me yeah, wonder. That was the case of Chance the Rapper. Both Chance the Rapper I, I, and Kings of Leon. It was like, yeah. okay, so obviously we have, we only have the MTV news side, really, but they, MTV news was telling spin, like these pieces, they were fair in the sense that like they, they weren't as snarky as they could be. And you can't always say positive things about every musician. Like that's not what readers want either. Right. When it comes to stuff like that, and I'm not, <laughs> this is not a disrespect to any of those guys, but it's like, I think difficult questions are things that intelligent people thrive on it's like if someone's going to challenge you you kind of rise to the challenge yeah um, it does it does come i mean as a business and as an entertainer perhaps there's something that we don't see because neither of us are entertainers so yeah knowing that does that directly influence your business um how your fans react i'm not quite sure as creators i really believe that you should be open to this this conversation anyways Right. I think that's kind of how everyone's gone improved. I mean, I, I'm sure at some point in time, these guys were open to criticism, which is why they are where they are right now. Yeah. You know, and I think that's the, the sort of thing that we need to kind of balance out is that, you know, only one perspective, I think can lead you down a very dangerous path. Right. And that's, uh, that's essentially very worrying for me. Right. It's like, I want, I want at any, at every step of the way to have someone challenging you. Even if they don't believe in you, believe in what you do, even if they don't like what you do, I still think that having that open dialogue and the ability to do it changes the game tremendously. It's like, hey, you know what? 
yo, you, I don't like your, I don't like your stuff. I don't, I don't like what you're doing in this capacity. At least it's something for you to keep in mind. At least it's for you to even improve your product. I mean, hey, you know what? This is not for this person. And that's fine. I can, I'm okay with that. Yeah. So I wonder, like, we, we, the two of us, we do create things in some degree, but we aren't performers the way like musicians are performers. So I would like to know, you know, what management is thinking. Is it just like cut down any negative news whatsoever as much as possible? But it's, if listeners don't like your stuff, surely you want to know. That's just, I just can't get around the fact of that. Like you, yeah. like what you're saying, like you wouldn't want to close yourself off to fair criticism, right? Yeah. Actually, so speaking about MTV, I have a question for you, uh, or I have a question for us as content producers, as Macon, is how do we go about writing things that are positive? possibly negative about brands and people that we might want to work with? I think this is a question that has, in theory, an answer, but the reality of it is always different. You know, in theory, you're like, hey, you know what? If someone's going to work with you, it's because they respect your point of view. Um, they want the honest take on it. They want something that represents a sense of authenticity, right? But then mm-hmm. what is actually said about them I think it changes. It's like, how are they going to react? Right. Some people, some people you need to be very careful with and not to say that you're writing for them. You're not writing to necessarily appease a brand. You're writing to, to authentically tell a story. I think that, you know, the, the difference lies between theoretically, this is how you should act. But then when someone's, you know, coming at you or they're like, they express a little bit of, um, unhappiness with what you've created. You just mm-hmm. need to stand behind it. I mean, if you stand behind it, then I think that is what it is. It's like, that's what editorial is. It should be a perspective and, you know, hopefully a, a well articulated take on a perspective. Yeah. This is like a long time ago. I don't know why this sticks out, but I recall, you know, a few years ago, we described a, some brand or designer as being a fledgling brand and they took great offense to that in the sense that they were much larger than that. And I was like, in my mind, well, your perspective is that this is our perspective, right? And there was not really a debate over that. You know, it's a, it's a matter of the difference of opinion. You didn't change the article. I don't think we changed it. No, especially not something so trivial as that. But I mean, it could get a lot worse, right? I mean, there's one thing to be factually incorrect, which, you know, that's kind of black and white, but to be subjectively incorrect, I don't think that, I don't know if that necessarily exists. I can picture this situation coming up for us. Like, not that I wanted to, but I could see it happening. What happens to MTV with Chance on a smaller scale could happen to us where, I don't know, we talk about some artists and compare his current work to his previous work. And then they're like, oh, we never want to make a print for Make It Again because you like made this poor comparison of my work. I mean, if you stand behind it, then it is what it is, right? This, this is one of the best things about the creative world is, and hopefully of a strong media brand is I look at Kings of Leon, I look at Chance the Rapper, and they're really big names in their own regard. Perhaps Chance obviously bigger at this current point in time. It's like, but can MTV exist without coverage and without any sort of participation from Chance the Rapper? I would think so. But then again, if MTV is trying to be all encompassing for music, then that obviously changes. But there is 
very few instances of where one brand needs another thing to be successful, especially how big and vast the current, the current industry and landscape is for a lot of these major, these major industries, right? Whether it's music, art, design, it's not like you need this one person to subsist. And that's how I've always looked at it. It's like, well, if you don't want to work with us because there's a fundamental difference in philosophy, then okay. That's fine. I think that it's better to, to address and to, to know that the, there's that sense of friction there than to always run around and try to appease everybody. Yeah. But it, this is one thing I had in my notes is like these really respected publications that are doing good things in terms of like creating content, whether it's the MTVs, like even BuzzFeed News, Grantland, like these are all like longer form, um, editorial publications and they've BuzzFeed. I can't really comment because there's nothing really. Um, there's nothing really bad that's come out of there in terms of it hasn't been doing well, but in regards to mm-hmm. these other ones, like obviously Grandland's folded. Mm-hmm. Do you think it's a matter of the chicken or the egg in the sense that the marketing's not good enough or is it the marketing conditions have changed? Maybe it's not even a chicken and an egg. I don't even know if that's the right comparison, but is there a lack of success because not enough people know about it or because that market no longer exists? That market for intelligent, well-articulated, analytical content is continually shrinking man i i really don't ever want to say that market is shrinking and gone and i i can't face up to that reality if if it's a reality um and it was mentioned in the mtv article too that they were like switching around to short form videos because that's what the millennials watch right and just i that makes me concerned for the next generation of media consumers. Um, actually, this question that you're asking <clears throat> ties into my thoughts about the other piece from New York Mag, because I was wondering if there is some way that long-form journalism and places like Tumblr and Reddit, can they be supported by bigger almost charitable organizations. Like, is there some way to keep them going without needing them to make money on their own? Well, there's, there's a debate that Twitter should be just considered. Just don't treat it as something that needs to make money. It's like a public service, right? A communication service. Yeah. I don't know if that's possible. Like, I don't know who makes that decision or like, Cause obviously you have to hire people still to keep things running unless you find volunteers. But I think it's worth considering. Like, can we make these parts of the internet non money making places? Is that, is that possible? I'm trying to think. Cause I'm, a great example of that is Wikipedia, right? Wikipedia's right. generally been donation based and it still hasn't really gotten very far. Although, you know, I, I haven't seen as many donation pop-ups as of late, but still, I, 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 one thing I wonder is if there's going to be a big shift in the way things exist on the internet in terms of scale, right? Like the days of scale, mm-hmm. I'm not saying anything revelational here, but the days of scale mm-hmm. are kind of gone where, you know, you, the days of creating something maybe to the, to the size of a Tumblr or Reddit are probably mm-hmm. not possible, but it's not to say that you cannot make something smaller. And with an impassioned crowd that self-support it, right? Like I think right. the Patreon thing 
of 2017 is probably something much more sustainable than trying to max things out and try to build a business on advertising, which is kind of what Twitter and Tumblr were aiming to do. Right. I'm not going to say anything that hasn't been said before either, but I think maybe it was a mistake for people to think of the internet as like, how do I say this? Like, I think the advent of advertising on the internet might be an experiment that has failed. I actually, I am not like, I have read about this idea already. And I think that both of these articles sort of hint on that idea that advertising on the internet is very flawed and is causing a lot of issues both for advertisers and content creators. And maybe the whole thing needs to be sort of like reset. There's, there's definitely validity to it because it has never really promoted the best quality, right? Advertising mm-hmm. is a scale game. Yeah. One thing I thought that was so funny from the New York Matic article is this quote. One of the great ironies of Twitter's and Tumblr's inability to make sustained profits is that Instagram and Facebook are both full of videos and posts screenshotted and stolen from their more productive, less wealthy rival platforms. That is and very That true. is my experience. I know. It's so true. It's the true yeah. of my experience of Instagram and Facebook too. Like the stuff that I find interesting and click on tends to turn out to be art, like stuff from Tumblr and Twitter. So, or Reddit. Yeah, I mean, you even see a lot of, you see publications now basically going on, on Reddit to see what the top upvoted post is. Right. Yeah. And then they just go and sell advertising against that, that no one looks at anyways. Yeah. Yeah, I was, what was I listening to? I was listening or reading something and the authors basically admitted, Hey, we just look at the stuff that is trending on Reddit to find out like what we should be keeping tabs on, like what we need to write pieces about. Uh. Also, I have another, this is a different train of thought regarding the New York Mac article. You know how one thing that advertisers are concerned about is how their ads might accidentally appear next to porn or, you know, religious extremist stuff. Right. Exactly. Exactly. Or religious extremist stuff. Do you think that that's a fair thing for advertisers to be upset about? Yes. Because I don't know if the, the average internet user is savvy enough to know that the way the advertisement was served was not randomly, but it's not like someone's behind a desk manually approving where everything goes. You know what I mean? I think that there's a, there's room for, for misinterpretation from an internet user think, Oh, I saw it on this site. That must mean this brand supports that. But in reality, it probably mm-hmm. just went into this big exchange and then just got basically placed wherever there is room. I see your point, but I also feel like people should be, I guess I'm not a typical internet user or I have somehow more internet savviness but I understand that the ads and the content are separate entities. Yeah, you're definitely a more advanced user, I'd say. I mean, I when I see something um, anywhere and I'm like, oh, it's kind of random to see that there. And then you kind of look a little bit deeper and like, oh, you know what? Like, this is just like Google ad. Then it all becomes so clear, right? No, I think I think you have made a point that I neglected to see that 
that other people could be making literal connections between like yeah. Coca-Cola placing an ad in front of an extremist video. So maybe, maybe to cap things off, what do you think would happen if we no longer had these massive places of creation? You know, and I'll just use that as like a kind of catch all for a Tumblr or a Twitter or a Reddit. What would happen if we no longer had the opportunity to freely post on these and discuss and create things on these communities and share mm-hmm. them? I mean, this is one of the things that one of the articles suggested is that we would return back to smaller group forums. Like back in the day of like, oh, AOL chat rooms kind of thing where Cause you know, you can't, even if we didn't have Tumblr or Reddit, we would still have messaging apps, right? Yeah. Like we'd still be able to message one another. Um, so maybe it would turn into messaging apps just evolve to be somehow like slightly larger communities. And that's where content circulates, but you would, you would lose sort of the exploration of a wider, it would take a lot more work to explore a wider range of things. Yeah, there definitely would be less virality. A lot of people don't really look at these these places of creativity as being inherently negative, although there are there is always room for, you know, negative movements to pop up, right? There's a lot of um right-wing stuff that's popped up on Reddit, but you always look at it more as like a net positive, like it's more in some ways entertainment driven. There's part entertainment, but there's also part you know, educational yeah. kickback. I mean, I see it, you see it a lot on, on Reddit too. Like, you know, you pop in every day to see what the top voted posts. And a lot of times it's like interesting news that makes it to the top. It's not all entertainment. So I really think that I there's think, a lot of value in that. I completely agree that there's a lot of value. I think, I think Tumblr, Reddit, 4chan, Twitter, et cetera, Yes, we talk about them as creative places, but they're also a place for us to know more about the world that's bigger than the things we'd be naturally interested in. And with the loss of that, we would become people who are, you know, just more narrow-minded. That yeah. That's my hypothesis. The second thing we are discussing is can celebrities ever be judged objectively for their art? So the reason we are discussing this subject is because Brooklyn Beckham, the oldest son of David and Victoria Beckham, recently published a photo book titled What I See. I think it's around 300 pages. And they're all photos he took accompanied by captions that he wrote. Um, since its publication, he came under instant attack by the the photography community at large for the quality of the work. And a lot of people were saying that it's nepotism that earned him the opportunity to shoot for Burberry and the reason why he has a book published. There are folks that are upset that he can have these chances that more professional photographers might never get. Is photography any different from all the other ways famous people get ahead in life. I think now more than ever, having photography as a skill set is probably more relevant than ever. Right? I mean, you see the the dominance of of social media and sharing stuff. It's a lot more impactful to share something visual than it is to share words. But do you think it's but what my question is is like we all know that if you are you have famous parents, then you get uh 
a head start in like the same field, right? So if your parents were actors, then you get to start acting as a kid. Or if your parents are musicians, right? So is photography somehow a different, is like exempt from that, from this thing that we know? I just don't, I don't think that it's crazy that he has a book and he got to shoot for Burberry. I don't find it. I just, I don't find it surprising worth remarking on. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I thought it was, I thought it was a little bit misguided, all these people that are coming out and like hating on them. Cause at the end of the day, I, I, I don't see photography as this highly guarded thing. Mind you, I'm not uh, like yeah. a full on professional. I like, I'm more along the lines of, Hey, if more people are into photography, that's even better. Not to say that photography mm-hmm. needs it, but I see photography as this ability to share, you know, perspectives, share experiences with people. It shouldn't be in the interest of only certain people that can do it. Now, maybe it's because, you know, the Burberry thing where he was, you know, he was like, I think he was 16. He got enlisted to shoot a Burberry campaign where people started kicking off and like, oh man, this is like, this is not cool. Like I've worked my whole life to be a photographer and I've never gotten this opportunity. Right. I could see that maybe ruffling a few feathers, but at the end of the day, it's like the act of photography in itself is something that I feel that is open for anyone to participate. And you're right. It's like, he's a celebrity person on his own, in his own right. He's a celebrity in his own right. But his mm-hmm. parents obviously have propelled him to much greater heights. I'm not saying that his photos are amazing. I just understand why, why he would take what advantages he has. You know, like if I was rich and if I had rich and famous parents, I would definitely be using my background to get what opportunities I could. You think so? Yeah, I do think so. I mean, I just, it it can only take you so far, right? Like if the shoot, if his Burberry shoot didn't turn out well, if this book doesn't sell, that, that still doesn't, that still will not result in more opportunities, right? It's just that he got to do these things early on early on in his life, he still has to earn like the public's approval. But maybe, maybe in, in regards to how that he's approached photography, it, it also changes the context, right? By that, from that perspective, I mean like not everyone is going on Instagram to showcase amazing photography. They're going on, mm. on Instagram to showcase their moments and their experiences. And I, I, I mean, I, I don't think anyone is really, kind of looking at Brooklyn's work as being, as you said, amazing. I'm trying to think like even the act of releasing a book, like in this day and age, nothing's stopping you from going and releasing your own book. Yeah. I mean, he has a publisher that's supporting him, but there, there are ways for you to do it on your own as well. I guess I feel like the dust will settle when it comes to celebrities trying to do things that they're not good at. Like, yeah. Like Kylie Jenner, right? In in your notes, you also mentioned Kylie Jenner. And I didn't know that she shot, but I do know that she has a makeup line. Okay. Yeah. And I think that, sure, she got to have a makeup line because of her name, because she's Kylie Jenner. But if the makeup products were no good, women would stop buying them. Because it's a product that they use that they actually want to have a certain effect. 
And if they were generally no good, then people would stop buying them. So I think like the market will wind up being fair. You think the market will, will self-correct itself? I found it interesting that when you see these two out and about, both Brooklyn and Kylie, they're often seen with like a film camera, right? Mm-hmm. And film, um, if you don't shoot film, I think one of the best things about film is just that it's like the original preset. It's the original filter. It's like you shoot on a certain type of film and, you know, it comes out graded in a way, right? Like I'm sure you could tweak it if you want to in, in post, but if you shoot Porsche 400, there's a certain look and color, color tone you're looking for. And that's what comes out. But then there's this like kind of meme going around where it's the opposite, where people look at some of these, um, film canisters or film, you know, boxes of film, like, Oh, they took film, they took digital presets and they turned it into physical film and reversed it. (laughs) It's kind of like this ironic thing. But, you know, I look at that and I'm like, Hey, you know what? It kind of makes sense to me. Like there's a certain learning curve that comes with grading digital photos and, I mean, that's kind of why I like to shoot film too. I don't have to worry about editing a photo, but I think that's kind of one of the interesting things I've found because it does remove part of the expertise involved. But mind you, it also is trendy to shoot film now anyway. So I'm, that might just be a moot point. You know, also one thing I just want to add is that he's 18 and maybe he hasn't found out what he's good at yet. And he looked at David and he's like, well, I can't play soccer. And he looked at Victoria. It's like, I can't design clothes. Like, I got to figure out some other thing that I'm good at. And we're just going to try like everything until I figure it out. Do you think that he would have been judged on the same scale? Or do you think that he would have been given more? Like if he was just, oh, a random amateur 18-year-old photographer, do you think he would have been judged the same or differently? Versus being... Oh, I don't think he would. I don't think, well, one, I don't think he would have gotten a book published, but I also don't think he would have been judged so harshly. Yeah. Like, I was kind of wondering if celebrities, this is sort of a sidebar, but if celebrities or celebrity kids wanted to escape their name and to get some sort of like fair criticism in some kind of contest, if they submit their work anonymously to like find out what people genuinely think. Like Brooklyn could hypothetically submit his photos with a pseudonym to some sort of like online photo contest to find out what the judges thought. But in terms of his career, like trying to get ahead, obviously he would still use his name. Yeah. I said that I would use my family background and you were like slightly surprised. So like if your fa- if your parents were rich and famous, you wouldn't try to use that to your advantage. I would definitely be careful about it. And the reason why I'd be careful is that. When you're in these positions of absolute power or a lot of power anyways, you're generally surrounded by just yes men, yes people, right? They're just going to come in and be like, oh yeah, I know that's awesome. That's great. Maybe he has great photos that could have been pared down. Maybe however many pages, because it's a pretty big book, right? Mm -hmm. If I I recall, it's like 300 pages. Maybe those 300 pages could have been pared down to like 75 and it would have been amazing work. Instead, someone was like, hey, you know what? Yeah, that's an awesome photo. That's great. That's great. Right. So that's why I'm, I'm very skeptical about just latching on to a name because at the end of the day, people are not always going to give you the truth. 
Do you think, though, that if you had been born into a rich and famous family, you would have the presence of mind to think that? If you were smart, yeah. I think some people have figured it out, but not everyone has figured it out. The thing is, too, is that how on point are your parents? Because there are some... You were born You were born to Beyonce and Jay-Z. I think Beyonce and Jay-Z, yeah, you would probably still have something something there. The reason why is because <laughs> they, they're somewhat self-made, right? So they have the, mm. they have the understanding of what it takes. Now my, my concern would be what would Brooklyn's kids do? Cause he kind of, Oh my goodness. It. I mean, I think on that note, we should just cap it off with the old saying that wealth only lasts three generations because it's the first generation that understands how much hard work is required to achieve uh-huh. success. The second generation knows a little bit because they've seen their parents toil. They know firsthand how much work and effort their parents put in. But the third generation kind of loses the plot because they haven't known necessarily all the hard work and difficulty that was required to achieve the success that their family is now reaping. And that's when it kind of all goes down, down the, sorry. And that's kind (laughs) of when it all falls apart. I wanted to swear there, but. I, I chose my words a little bit more carefully. We're watching out for that explicit content reading. Yeah. Yeah. Okay, that's a good place to cap things off. If you're interested in hearing more about Macon and its membership opportunities, head over to Macon.com. There you'll experience some of our stories focused on the sights and sounds of creative culture. You can also subscribe to us through your favorite podcast app and platform. I'm Eugene. I'm Sharice. And this is Making It Up.